So, so far in the series, we've covered the questions of, is there a God, right? Um, is God revealing himself to his people in some way? And are we responsible to know what that is? Is the Bible true was the second question, because if you don't know much about Family Bible Church, you'll know that we preach the Bible every week here at Family Bible Church. We do our best to orient ourselves around Scripture, to not invent a God of our own image, right? Not to make up our own God. I believe it was the Apostle Paul that said, a man-made God is no God at all, right? And so what we try to do is, is we try to preach the Word of God, understand, study the Word of God, and apply it to our lives, being the Bible. And so we ask the question, is the Bible true? That's a fundamental tenet of faith for us. The Bible is not salvation in itself. We don't worship the Bible, but we worship the God of the Bible. And that's been an interesting distinction to make as those who study the Word of God so that we can know our Lord and Savior Jesus better. The third thing we talked about was what's so special about Jesus, and we spent some time talking about his messiahship, coming as Jesus the Christ, the anointed, the ways that he changed things, and yet his eternal presence. He was there in the beginning of the creation narrative. He was there throughout the First Testament and also the New Testament as well, and he is with us even today. He is right now, to talk about the house of prayer, like right now Jesus is interceding at the right hand of the Father. That's what Scripture says. He is praying for you, for me, for his church, for his people today. And we can celebrate uh, what's, what's so awesome about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And then last time we were together, two weeks ago, we talked about where is God now? The present work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so that's kind of where we've been in this journey. And then today we're going to dig more into this kind of walking out. So you can kind of see it's like, you know, we're building these kind of concepts of our faith of what, how things work and, you know, is there a God? And that can be a question you disagree with. Any one of these questions you can disagree with, by the way. Is the Bible true? You can disagree if the Bible's true or not. You know, what's special about Jesus? There are many people who think nothing is special about Jesus. Where is God now? Many people say God is nowhere right now. He is not to be found. We can't find God. So all these are really questions that we should uh, wrestle with and understand and decide what we believe, decide what we believe about these matters. So today, as we enter into our next leg of this journey, I'm going to ask that you do what we always do. We come into the Word, but we come with prayer. We ask for God's presence. He's always here, but that we can see and hear Him among us. He'll speak if we'll listen. So please pray with me this morning. Father God, uh, for your great mercy and grace, we give you thanks. We come confessing that we have no wisdom or knowledge of our own. We don't even proclaim things that we've figured out, Lord, but we want to know you more fully. Your word says, who can know the depths of God but your spirit alone? And so today we ask that your spirit would be our instructor. We ask that you would work in every mind and every heart and every eye and ear here today, every lip that is speaking, that would be glorifying to you, that we could know you more fully, that we could be encouraged as we grow be more like your son and our savior jesus and we've come today with nothing nothing to offer really i mean we just reflect praise back to you lord but we bring nothing of our own and we wait to receive from you your wisdom your insight your your transformation your healing the way that you're going to move in our lives we just wait expectantly for you to show up and so in this time we ask that by your grace and mercy you would do that among us and that we would be changed because we encountered you today. We love you so much. You've been so good to us, and we give you thanks and praise now, and for the eternal song, we give you thanks and praise as well. And we pray it in the name of our mighty King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we're going to talk, we're going to ask this next question, and it's what is the church is our next question that we're going to cover. What is the church? 
this is an interesting topic to cover because many people um, maybe don't think about this. Maybe you do. I don't know. Do you think about it much? What is the church? We talk about it a lot here at Family Bible Church, I feel like, you know, especially because of our situation. We seem to talk a lot about what the church is and is not, right? But this morning, I'm going to propose to you that there are four major thoughts out there about what the church is, okay? Many people have kind of lived maybe un- unexamined lives in thinking they knew what the church was. I did that for years and years. I did that as a believer, okay, as a church attender, and I did that as a non-believer. But both times, whether I was believing in Jesus or not, whether I was in church or not, I had an opinion of what the church was. No matter where I was in life, I had an opinion. I bet you could ask anyone on the street, what is the church? And they would have an answer. Maybe good, maybe bad, maybe you want to hear it, maybe you don't. And so today I'm going to talk through four common thoughts on what the church is. And so here they are. The first thing is, and they're going to kind of progress a little bit here, but the first thing is that the church is a building, right? And, and how we see this manifest in life is this, wow, this is a beautiful church. You know what I mean? Have you done that before? I mean, I've been in some places that are amazing, and I say, I walk, and I'm like, wow, this church is beautiful. Have you ever done that? Have you been to a basilica? We went to some when we were in Costa Rica, and they are amazing, amazing. You walk in, it takes your breath away. I've been in some pastor's conferences. They usually have those at the really big churches, you know, and those pastors will walk in there together, and we'll be like, now this is a beautiful church. You know what I mean? Guilty. Church is a building. This is probably the easiest one to refute, because many of us will say that, right? Many of us will say those words, that's a beautiful church, or, oh, you go to that, you know, that church down the street there with the, the certain whatever on it, you know? But we almost instantly acknowledge, if you say to anyone, no matter where they are, well, you know the church isn't the building, right? People will say, oh, yeah, I know. It's not the building, right? You guys agree with that? Church ain't the building. So that one's pretty easy to refute. That one's pretty easy to refute. But people still believe it. And, and I would say, especially, you know, as uh, there's not much of a distinction made sometimes between the church and a church building. Fair enough. Second thing is this. The church is an institution or an organization. All right? The church is an institution or organization. That means that when you think about a church, it's them over there. And how this is betrayed in our language is um, saying things like, uh, my church is awesome, right? My church is awesome. And that's, that's a cool thing to say. And yet, what are we, we're, ta- we're not, we're speaking about this organization that we're part of. Many times when you hear someone talking about how awesome, or you'll say, that church is awesome. But you're most of the time, maybe you're speaking about a building, not usually, sometimes, buildings, but usually the organization or the institution of the church. You see? They're, they're, th- that's an awesome church. And that means that they're doing a lot of things, right? They, they have an amazing reach. They have an amazing staff. That church is awesome. It's betrayed in our language. It's an institution. And this is a tempting solution. I would actually say to you that if you read the scriptural narrative from the beginning to the end, you will find that over and over again, over and over again, 
People will be satisfied with human solutions to God-sized problems. As a matter of fact, if you read the Bible cover to cover, you'll find places in Scripture where people have God and they ask for a person. Isn't that interesting? People will have God and they'll say, that's great, get the God stuff, but can you give me something more human? And... The scripture is filled with stories of God giving us what we've asked for, a man-made solution. Not always the best solution, but we take it. It's a tempting offer. So that's the second thing, an institution or organization. The third thing that we can think about with the church, four common thoughts, is that the church is a group of people. Just that simple. The church is a group of people. Um, We betray this in our language when we say things like this. Now hear me. Man, this church is a mess. <laughs> you know what I mean? That church is a mess over there. I know somebody that goes to that church down there. Woo, they're a mess. Because I'll tell you something. Here's a secret. Organizations are great until you get people in them. If you have a small organization, it'll go really well for a while. But the more people you get in, the harder it gets. And eventually, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. So there's this view of the church being a group of people, a gathering of people. Some might say an assembly of people. Have you heard that before? An assembly. It's this gathering together of a people group. Now, the thing about this is, while the first is easily to refute, buildings aren't the church, and the second is tempting, institution, boy, that's what I really want. The third thing is... Uh, that it's hard to be part of a church, right? That's a hard thing. When the church is a mess, it's not easy. When you have to, when you have to give a, uh, an answer for why a, another person in your organization is behaving that way or, or, or trying to understand maybe what someone is doing, that's a much harder thing than being able to, to talk about a program or a, an opportunity to defend people. And we have to always decide if the, if the church is a group of people Am I going to be part of this group of people or not? Right? The fourth thing is this. This one struck me, by the way. I love nothing more than I'm preparing the, to preach the word of God. And I said this to you last week. He changes you. I'll say that again. I love nothing more than when I get ready to preach the word of God and he changes me. I love nothing more when I'm doing a study with someone and God changes me. It reminds me that he is all-knowing and I am not. The fourth one is, the church is a person. The church is a person. This is betrayed in our language when we say things like, you are the church. Right? I say that to you often, don't I? You are the church. And you and I can walk around believing that we are the church. Meaning, I am the church. Now, here's the good part of that. The reason this is a tempting solution is because if you are the church, the church is perfect. <laughs> Isn't it? Like, there, have you heard the, the joke about there was, um, there was a guy, there, there was a ship going across the ocean, and they seen smoke coming off this island, and 
they, they went over to see it was a supposed to be an uninhabited island. They found this guy on the beach, and he runs out to the ship, and he's waving his arms. He's like, oh, thank God you're here. Thank God you're here. And the ship pulls in. They send a little dinghy out to get the guy. And, and the guy says, I've been here for five years waiting for somebody to come along and rescue me. And they're like, you're here alone, right? And they're like, well, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm here by myself. And they go, why are there three buildings on the island, on the beach? And he goes, well, I live in that one, and I go to church in that one. And they go, well, what's that one? He goes, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> right? I mean, because the church is perfect if it's just you. Maybe. Maybe. So the question is then, if we ask this question, what is the church? The first question that I have for all of us to consider this morning is who defines what the church is? Who gets to say what the church is? Many of us spend time trying to do this. And so I'm going to do what we always do. I'm going to enter, I'm going to ask you to enter into God's word. I'm going to ask you to turn to the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. I'm going to give you a minute to, to get there. And I'm going to read the word with you this morning. You'll remember if you were here three weeks ago when we asked what's so special about Jesus that this is a passage that we, we talked through a little bit. So it will sound familiar to you if you've been coming. It's interesting this is where we find the definer of what the church is. Here's what the word says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus asked this. You remember this question? But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Well, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We talked a few weeks ago about this passage of Scripture. Do you remember that? And we talked about how in this moment Peter answers that question, who do you say that I am? It's still a question that we're asked today. Who do you say Jesus is in your life? This is applicable to all ages, to all walks of life, to everyone. You have to give an answer to the question who is Jesus? And here Peter answers, you are the Christ. Read with me in verses 18, verse 18. And I tell you, Jesus says, that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Okay? So this is the first time in scripture that the word church is mentioned. And it's mentioned by Jesus himself. It's telling that it comes right at the moment where Peter finally gets it. Peter finally understands what Jesus has been trying to teach them. From this passage, most churches begin to build their doctrine or their teachings on what the church is. Here we have Jesus saying a few significant things about this encounter with Simon. And the first is this, that Simon could know nothing of Jesus' position or role as Christ, Messiah, fulfillment of all the promises that God had made if God had not revealed it to him. 
And so Peter here confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And I, I want you to see something else that happens here. In verse 18, look at verse 17 with me. He says, blessed are you, Simon. And then in verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter. You see, whenever Simon comes and makes this realization about Jesus being the Messiah, he gets a new name from God. God names Simon. Simon doesn't invent Jesus. Simon doesn't make up a name for Jesus. He recognizes it. And in recognition, Jesus turns to a disciple and he says, you are no longer Simon, but you are Peter. There's other places in Scripture where this is accounted for as well, that he became Peter. He used to be known as Simon among us. Now he is Peter. Well, when Jesus uses the word Peter, he's doing a play on words there. The word is Petros. Petros. Have you ever heard of like a petrified, something that's been petrified, wood? It's a rock. It's, it's become hard, solid. And Peter here is the same with Jesus. He says, you are now Petros, rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. I want to walk through those four possibilities that we talked to a minute ago so that you can see what the options are here. When Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, he could mean literally that Peter has turned into a rock. He could mean that. And he could mean that I'm going to now begin to build stones on top of you, rock Peter, right? Not practical, not probable, but possible. I don't think so. <laughs> but he could have been literally saying, you're a rock. So you're a building, Peter, and I'm going to build a building with you as the cornerstone. The second, though, is institutional. And he could say, well, Peter, you are the rock. You are the head of the church. And I'm going to build everything on top of you, Peter. But what's interesting about that concept of church is that if it's all built off of Peter himself as a man, why would Jesus talk about building the church? Let me try to make that make a little more sense. He doesn't say, Peter, you are the church, and on you I'm going to build my church. He says, Peter, you are the rock, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. And that's a different thing altogether. Well, the third possibility is that Jesus is saying, I'm going to build a group of people around this, Peter. Around what? What does Peter say? You are the Christ. Who is the Christ? The Son of Man. Who is? Jesus. And when Jesus hears one of his disciples finally get it, when he breaks through here, and he finally understands it. He looks at Peter and he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, meaning on this confession, on this profession, on this witness of me, of who I am. Now, this begins to align with much more scripture for us, you see, because Jesus is called the chief cornerstone. You know, many times we like to put Jesus on top of our buildings, don't we? We like to put him up there. But the word says that he is the chief cornerstone, that everything is built and aligned around him. We build on Jesus. He is our foundation. You remember the story he told about building a house on a solid foundation. Jesus is the rock, and Peter sees it here. And then the fourth that we talked about earlier was that, that, that Peter 
is the church. But again, I just said that can't be because he says, I'm going to build a church on this. Not you are, but this is the beginning of something. As a matter of fact, he alludes to what it's going to be in the words to come. And then he tells his disciples, don't tell anyone else. Don't tell anyone else about this. Jesus was very peculiar about his timing. He liked to be in control of those things because he's God and he, he liked to reveal himself as he seemed fit. And in this moment, Peter gets it right. Now, let me tell you something else about Peter. And I find this striking as well. For those who would say, well, no, Peter is the rock and we are going to build everything on Peter. By the way, do you recognize that this is where we get things like St. Peter, right? St. Paul, because we, we revere these men, they're holy men, they're godly men, they're God-honoring men, they're witnessing men, they're saints. And yet we should be cautious when we pro proclaim anyone as if they're equal to, to God himself. So here we have Peter saying this, and Jesus saying, on this rock I'm going to build my church. Go with me for a minute. Peter could be thinking, I'm the rock. I'm the rock. I'm the church. I'm going to do this. But if you read just a few short passages later, a few short verses later, Peter, in confidence, tells Jesus he's not going to die on a cross, and Jesus calls him Satan. So if on one hand you're going to say, well, it's obvious from this passage that, that Peter is the the, the church, the rock, then in a few passages you have to say it's obvious that Peter is Satan. Nobody's talking about that. So it becomes pretty hard to hold that Peter is the rock. Much more likely that it's this confession of Jesus Christ. He's going to build a people group around this idea, this concept of the reality of his presence among us. So, who defines it, though? Jesus does, right? Next question we want to ask is this. Who is the church for? Who is the church for? And we're going to stay, actually, in the same passage. I just want you to see what's all in here. And this is what Jesus says in verse 18. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, and all on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He says, I will build my church. See, many times we, we think that the church is for something else. We think that the church is to um, be a spectacle for the world to see. We think that the church is to be uh, just w whatever our needs are. The church is there to meet our needs. We think that the church is there to be programmatic and to drive all the stuff that we would like to have. But, but Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. Not my church, not Bill Dempsey's church, but the church of Jesus. Like, that's what he's after here. He never promises to build a kingdom for us. Never once. And so Jesus says, on this confession, on you, Peter, on what you have recognized in me, I'm going to build my church. Now, I want to say one other thing here about who the church is for the word church that Jesus used, and I just want to recognize that he used it, is ecclesia. Ecclesia. And you don't have to know what that word is, but you have to know what that word means. 
When, when Jesus said, I'm going to build my ecclesia, it did not mean a building. And, and it did not mean an institution. It, I would argue that it meant a group of people around me. Ecclesia. Ecclesia means to be called out. Ek means out, and kaleo means to call. So he's like calling out his people. On what? On a confession of who he is as Jesus Christ. This is the gathering. This is the people who have been called out. And if you even notice what happens in that passage of Scripture, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And there's more than Peter there. Do you notice that? He's not the only one in the crowd, but God himself, the Father, calls Peter forward with an answer. He's the only one that gives an answer here. There's other people who are hearing the question, what about you? But Peter's the only one, and when he comes forward with this answer, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's almost like it bursts out of him. And Jesus immediately says, blessed are you because you didn't recognize this of yourself, but my Father revealed it to you. He was compelled to proclaim it. So here we have the ecclesia, the called out ones, and Peter was the first one to be called out from amongst his peers to proclaim Jesus as the Christ. Who the church is for? It's for Jesus Christ. It's for his glory. It's for his purpose. The church, the called out people of God. I want to mention one other thing. It's not, the word ecclesia isn't used exclusively for believers. So we can't build some doctrine because it means gatherings of people. In Acts 19, there's this conversation about this ecclesia that's all disagreeing with each other, but they're not a church. They're an assembly for other purposes. So you can have multiple ecclesias, but Jesus is worried about his ecclesia, his church. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. That also means that not only is the church for him, but he is the one that's going to build it, to shape it, to direct it, to guide it, to lead it. He is the chief shepherd. He's the one that we're following, the church. And it is not exclusive to local, right? Paul would write to churches, and this weekend in Family Years, we'll have some material on what Paul wrote to the churches defining who they are in Christ, reminding them of who they are in Christ. But the church is for Jesus himself. So, my last question today is uh, this. So, does this belief shape our lives? I mean, it's great to come up here and talk about it. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're bored senseless with this already, right? But does it even matter what we think the church is? I think it does matter. If we believe that the church is a building, a place that we go to, then it's that special place that we liked when we were kids, maybe, or we didn't like when we were kids, but now we like when we have our kids or whatever, and we're going to take them back there, and we're going to have this experience, and we hope it's still standing, because maybe it's not, right? But that's this place, this geographic location. Does it shape us if we believe it's an institution? It does. Because if it's the institution, it means that how is this institution serving me? How is it meeting my needs? How is it doing what I need for it to do for me? And we can get into that. And we struggle with that. We talked last week at Family Bible Church, how we struggle, Pastor Appreciation Day, how we struggle with getting that right. And we won't get it right because we're sinful people and we, we're in it. It's not, it's not us and, and, and them, it's us. That's it. And so the institution is always a struggle. 
But if it's a people group, it matters because it means that we have to depend on God and it means we have to depend on each other. It means that if we're assembled together in the name of Jesus Christ, that everyone has a voice. Everyone has something to share, something to add, a blessing to give. And guess what? When we believe that this is the church, it's a gathering of God's people for his purposes in the world, all of a sudden the scriptures start to line up when he says that each one has been given a gift. It all starts to make sense. We are the church. I am not the church. I am part of the church. You see, the fourth thing that we talked about, if you believe that you are the church, you can go out in the woods and you can, you and me and Jesus and nobody else. But we don't see that in scripture. We see the people of God moving for the glory of God. We see God's spirit directing his people into places they don't know. And when they show up, they find believers that are there ahead of them already preparing a way. They find that God has been moving through his Holy Spirit in the lives of non-believers and believers alike and they get to partake in it together. And there's this new community that's birthed called the church. And so we have this opportunity to be the church. But it's a hard one. You know, because we have to depend on God, really. We have to discern rightly the things that God's leading us to, and we have to depend on one another. Like, we've got to choose to do things like love each other. Paul talks about that, doesn't he? We have to choose to be together. We have to choose to send one another out. I mean, next we're going to talk about what's the mission of the church. There's some specific things the church ought to be doing as part of normal body life. But we are the church of God. I am not the church of God. And he has given us this gift of being his church for his own pleasure. I did this fun little thing last night where I did the, uh, the Google search type ahead thing. Have you ever done that before? You put in like the first few words and you see what the next words are that most people search for. And I put in what is, uh, the church is. And I gotta be honest with you, I'm a, I'm a skeptic, I'm a cynic, and I thought there are gonna be all these negative things. The church is, you know, all this stuff, right? The, f- the first three answers were basically this the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Wow. Like, we at some level get that. That the church is for Jesus. So today, we're going we're gonna to celebrate um, that reality. That we're the people of God. This morning, I, uh, I have the, this table up here because it was a reminder of the way Jesus preferred to deal with his people. And he tells Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. But you see, he preferred, if he had his brothers, he would rather gather his people around a table to remember. And it wasn't fancy. It was pretty ordinary table. And he would sit. And you know, I don't know if we often think about that, that you and I, in the cross, that you and I are invited to sit with him. You think about the times that he went and took his disciples with him, right? He's always got a few, doesn't he? You three, come with me. You 12, come over here. You 72, go over there. It's his people. And, and we get to gather, and there's this invitation to come and sit with him and dine. I wonder, I wonder what it was like. We were talking, we're going to be talking about the, uh, the, the first Passover meal that Jesus prepared for his disciples. And he sent them ahead to, to a town. I told you the spirit goes ahead. And he sent ahead and he said, get a, get a table ready for me. We're going to celebrate the Passover feast. And they're gathered around this table with Jesus. And it says they're reclining. And he has an open seat, you see, for us. 
He's inviting us to have a seat with him. Come to my table and eat, right? And, and in this moment, as great as it is being with Jesus, can you imagine looking around that room at your brothers and sisters who are gathered learning and going, yeah, this is the good stuff. This is our group. This is our people. And as Jesus sat with his people, that's what he was teaching. I'm going to read the words of institution, but we did a little grocery shopping today. And uh, I'm going to ask some folks to come up, if you would come up and help me pass out these things. I need a couple people, maybe from each table would work, or a person from each table, or a person who's going to do a bunch of stuff for a lot of people. Don't all move at once. It's okay. We're all family. You want to hand those around? Sure. And here, here, Mike. And these two, one per table. Thanks. Hey, Gilly. You want to do me a favor? You want to go get the, get the blast, kids? Bring them back in. Thanks, dude. So, so this is what's really striking. That, that Jesus, when he invited people to come and sit, he invited them to sit at the table with them, right? And Paul, I told you about St. Paul earlier. Well, Paul, when he was teaching the churches... What was the most important things? What was being the church really about? And what were we really called to do? He, he says this, and it comes in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11, verse 23. He says, Paul says, For I, Paul, received from the Lord, Jesus, what I also passed along to you. That our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, I want you to see the, the image here. He took bread. Who has bread? We have bread at this table? Why would I have bread? Guys. You have bread. There you go. Thanks, Dan. Here, go ahead. You can do it. Here, you can do it, Miss Ruth. You can do it. He took bread. You do it. And go ahead and do it. And Jesus broke it, just like that. And he held it out in front of him at the table with his disciples. And he said, take this and eat it. I want you to read the actual, what he said. He said, he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of of me. And in the same way, after, cup, after supper, he took his Dixie cup. Do you think? And he said, this cup is a new promise that I'm making in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, I want to stop. We've heard these words before, right? We've heard these words from Jesus before. 
He is with us. He is for us. He is present. He is gathered at the table with us, and you're his people. Whenever you drink it, remember me. Listen to verse 26. He says, because every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, church, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. You see, this is the work of the church. Gathered around tables, sinners everyone. None of us good enough. And yet sitting at a table with a Savior that says, this is a promise for you. And when you remember me in this promise, you will proclaim my death and you'll proclaim my coming. We're waiting for Jesus. He goes on to talk about the way we should receive it. And he says, do not receive it in an unworthy manner. This is what he says. Anyone who eats or drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment. Anyone who eats and drinks with judgment doesn't recognize the body of the Lord. And so I'm going to ask, before we share communion, that you enter prayer with me. So please pray. Father, today we have come here to hear your word and to hear this great invitation to be your church. To know that if we are those who are believing in you as Jesus the Christ, that we're invited. And you know what, Lord? I remember when I wasn't believing in you and you still invited me to your table. And so today, Father, as your church, as those who've been called out, I pray that we would recognize you in the breaking of bread. I pray that we would see, maybe for the first time, the church. And I pray that you would be present with us at this table. Because a table without you is meaningless. We thank you, Lord, that the night before you're betrayed, you acknowledge what you were going to do. And we thank you, Father, for the, for the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus. We thank you for the cross that makes our relationship possible and that gives us new life, a new spirit, a new heart and mind. And we thank you now as we remember and we proclaim the death of our Lord Jesus Christ that gathered around each table here this morning is your church, your people. I pray that we would discern it rightly. May you dwell with us as we seek uh, to become more honoring to you in our lives. And we thank you for everything and this communion meal that you've given so generously. In Christ's name, amen. So one problem that Paul was writing to the church about was he said, you guys never wait for each other. Somebody's always pushing to the front of the line. Somebody's always left outside in the cold. And he said, if you're going to do that, do it at home. When you come together as a church, you just wait for each other. 
receive the meal together. And so today, as you were led, I'm going to invite you with me uh, to enjoy this Lord's Supper that he has provided today. Eat and drink together.